Hello and welcome back to Pediapod for July 2021. This month, researchers revisit the association of fluid status on the risk of bronchopulmonary dysplasia in preterm infants. Over half of infants born less than 29 weeks gestational age will either die or develop bronchopulmonary dysplasia. One possible contributor to this multifactorial disease is fluid overload in the early postnatal period, which may result in increased interstitial fluid in the lungs, impaired gas exchange and higher needs of mechanical ventilation. Previous studies have shown an association between fluid retention during the early postnatal period and increased bronchopulmonary dysplasia. However, these studies used varying clinical indicators of fluid status and were performed nearly two decades ago, meaning their results may not apply to the contemporary NICU setting, with its widespread use of surfactants and modern incubators. In this episode, we meet this month's featured early career investigator, Mark Beltempo, from McGill University and the Montreal Children's Hospital in Canada. He and his team studied the associations between fluid balance, serum sodium concentration and weight loss with BPD among preterm infants. He started off by telling me where his career got started. I actually uh, born and raised in Montreal, Quebec, Canada. Went at l'Université de Montréal, which is in Montreal, Quebec, where I graduated from med school. Through med school and through rotations, I realized that I love working with children and I love working especially with neonates and their families. And when I went into pediatrics in Quebec City uh, at l'Université Laval, I fell in love with the interactions we had with families in the neonatal intensive care unit where we go from having a baby that's critically ill, that's weighing barely a pound, to three months later, this baby's weighing almost five, six pounds and going home breastfeeding with the parents. So from a medical point of view, it's engaging. And from a human point of view, it's so uh, valorizing and engaging also. And that's what led me to becoming a neonatal intensivist. And from there, in my practice and through my training, I met people like Dr. Bruno Piebeuf, who is one of my mentors in Quebec City. And he helped me understand that through data, through research, you can actually change the care of your patients in real time. And then from there, I did a master's in health administration and systems analysis, which then brought me to Toronto, where I did a postdoc research fellowship with Dr. Prakash Shah, who's the head of the Canadian Neural Network. And from there, I learned to use larger databases for quality improvement and for implementing and sustaining change. And then from there, I came back to McGill in 2018 and became a early career investigator with uh, some outside salary support grants and was able to start my research program, which aims to assess care practices that are associated with better clinical outcomes. So that brings us on to, I suppose, the current paper that we're also here to talk about, which involves bronchopulmonary dysplasia. What do we know about the relationship between bronchopulmonary dysplasia and postnatal fluid status? And, and could you define that for us as well? What's challenges with bronchopulmonary dysplasia is it is a very multifactorial disease. So there are a lot of things that contribute to it. The concept of fluid status or having too much fluid or not enough can contribute to the lung either swelling, the lung damage, and then subsequent risk of having BPD. And what's particular in very preterm babies, particularly those born less than 29 weeks, is that there are a lot of things that affect their fluids. In the sense, when we talk about fluid status, we're talking about how much you're giving, how much you're peeing, so it's that balance, and how do you evaluate that clinically? 
So in babies, we know that if you lose a lot of water, you're obviously going to lose weight. You can calculate what you're giving the baby and what the baby's peeing and pooping. That's called the fluid balance. And then the third one you can use is measure the sodium, which as you dehydrate, that value is going to increase in your body. And there are a lot of interventions or things around the baby that will affect that fluid status. The first thing is we know that babies preterm have very uh, thin skin, so they have a lot more what we call insensitive water loss. So that contributes to their dehydration. Uh, other factors will be how much we're giving, and the other factor is going to be how is the baby able to pee or not. All these factors together contribute to that early critical phase of the fluid status in babies. It isn't the first study, is it, to look at the water balance changes in the early period. I was interested to read that this is the first study to look at this for quite a long time. Why is that? Fluid balance has been uh, a key element in the care of very preterm infants for years. Over the last 20 years, there's been a lot of changes in the technology we have to better help the baby not lose as much fluids. And one of those major technological changes is the incubator, which can seem very simple from the outside for somebody who's young and born in the last 20, 30 years or practiced for a few years. But we have double plexiglass incubators, which reduces a lot the heat loss. There are radiant warmers integrated to that with a what we call servo control temperature. So essentially the temperature is modulated by the baby's skin temperature. And to that you have humidifiers integrated into the isolette to maintain very high humidity, which can go up to 90% humidity. So you can imagine what you call your insensible water loss through your skin and through just trying to maintain your body temperature is much lower than it was compared to 20 years ago when such technology wasn't completely perfected. And that's what's interesting in reassessing this old question, which again prompted our group to study this locally saying, well, we don't see the same percentage weight losses that people used to see. So how can we address it now and put that into new context? Let's hear about your study population then. This was a retrospective study, but of a presumably of a contemporary cohort at your hospital. That's correct. So this was study was based on infants born from 2015 to 2018 in a single center, which is a level three NICU with uh, specialized care with standards similar to most um, developed countries. And so let's just move straight on to the results then. When you compare what you found to those earlier studies, what did the fluid balance mean for the rates of bronchopulmonary dysplasia? What we found is that when you had a higher fluid balance that accumulated over the first 10 days after birth, those with a higher cumulative fluid balance had higher odds of either dying or having bronchopulmonary dysplasia. And we also looked at, is it sodium the best indicator or is it the weight loss? And in the cohort we had, what we found is that probably the best clinical indicator that correlated with the risk of death or bronchopulmonary dysplasia was the daily fluid balance. So looking at everything you give in to everything the baby pees out. And that's a bit different because when we looked at the weight change or the fluctuations in weight, that did not correlate well with outcomes. Same thing as when we looked at the serum sodium on a daily basis. So there was no significant associations. And the third thing we did is we actually looked to assess, does your daily sodium changes correlate with your daily fluid balance? And are those markers well correlated? And they still did not correlate very well in the study we did. So there are a lot of 
explanations to why uh, they don't correlate as well. We know that sodium, people can give sodium to babies through uh, IV fluids, so that may be one of the factors. The second factor is that you also give sodium often when you're giving drugs to babies. So when you give, let's say, an antibiotic, you have to flush it with another IV. Typically, people use saline-containing water to flush those drugs back in. So that's very hard to account. And the weight change, we know that probably with a baby that weighs six, 700 grams, that percentage weight change, like a five gram difference, which is often the, uh, the balance's margin of error, can probably skew a little bit the result. So that's probably why in our court, that's what we found. So from your perspective as a clinician, is this good news that the most reliable kind of indicator is this kind of crude measure of fluid balance, but, you know, in and out? Is that a good thing for people on the front line? I think it's a great thing in the sense that it brings you back to using readily clinically available data that's non-invasive to make a clinical decision. So from a blood testing, had we found that the serum sodium is the best marker in this context, the take-home message could have been, well, you need to do more daily or twice daily or three times blood tests to babies that are so small and poking them to get a blood test can be a painful procedure also. So what's great about calculating what goes in and what goes out is essentially you just have to calculate what's on the pump or what you're giving the baby and make sure that the the bedside team weighs the diaper of the babies at the same time. Did your study go any way to finding out where you intervene? Was there a a quantitative measure of this fluid balance at which point your um, alarm bell should be ringing? Maybe I'd take one step back and one step forward to answer that question. The step back and where we have to be very mindful is that we showed association. And every scientist knows that association is not causation. So it's hard to say that if by actively targeting lower cumulative fluid balance, you will cause lower BPD. What we did show, though, is that infants that tended to have a lower cumulative fluid balance, and we actually generated, as part of the supplementary file, a full chart with percentiles of cumulative fluid balance. And typically, when you're at the 25th to 50th percentile of the fluid balance, which we showed in our paper, you have a lower risk of death or BPD. I think the next step is asking ourselves, can we actively target and maintain a fluid balance trajectory that's associated with lower risk of BPD. So the first step now is that we're in a quality improvement and knowledge implementation aspect of trying to target that line of the 25th percentile of fluids. And if we show that we're able to actually actively obtain that, the second step will be, well, by doing that, are we overall changing the outcomes of the babies will be the next step as part of randomized trial. That was early career investigator Mark Beltempo from McGill University and the Montreal Children's Hospital in Canada. And that's it for this month. Please check back in in August for your next edition of Pediapod. I'm Jeff Marsh. Thanks for listening.